Hello, podcast listeners out there, and welcome to episode 104, 104 of the Agile Podcast, a podcast in a pub where Jeff Watts and I get together for a quick pint and have a chat about all things Agile. So welcome back to our next episode. Now, we stumbled across an interestingly named pub called The House in the Tree, near where Jeff lives. We stopped for a bit of a bite to eat, and that got us talking about food in the context of agility and running a pub and restaurants. And that led on to a conversation around Gordon Ramsay as a scrum master. That was interesting. And we ended by talking about status, high and low status from an improv world and how changing our status and our behaviour can increase or decrease the collaboration that we get amongst teams. So we hope you enjoy it. We hope you're well. We're just about to step into another lockdown here in the UK. So things are about to change. The pubs are closing. But Jeff and I will still be around and we'll try and put together some extra content for you during these times. So enough of me talking. Play the jingle, which never changes. And stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Here it comes. Cheers, bud. Cheers, mate. Stouffer, back to Stouffer. I haven't had a pint of Stouffer for a long time. No? It's nice, is it? <laughs> it is nice. It's um, it's relatively tame as a, as a cider. It's not too um, sour. Yeah, nice day cider. Yeah, it's, a, it's a drinking yeah, session cider. Nice, nice. Only about 60% known. No, really I've got no idea what... Um, what percentage the HPA is? I don't even know what H stands for in the HPA. Have you googled it? See what is there a, 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 no. a bit of history to it? Or it's a got a bit of an otter. It's got an otter on the glass. Is it a, a, a HPA glass? Or is it an otter glass? Oh, it doesn't say. Doesn't say. HPA ale. Yeah. You, you describe it, and I'll see if I can find something. It's quite. It's a little. It's got a little bit creamy. It's not particularly hoppy or sharp. It's a smooth. More like a. Say more like a. A John Smith's type ale, Boddington type ale, rather. It's from the uh, Y Valley Brewery, Jeff. So it stands for Hereford, then, presumably. Just off, just off the top of my head, it's um, it was a 2017 finalist of the Beer of Britain. Uh, it's got a citrus smell, and a, a, um, it's four percent. It's an easy-going real ale that really brings people together. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. Otter. Uh, otter. 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 I saw otter. Maris Otter. Good. No, go Maris Otter. Maris Otter. All oh, right. The oh, that's the malt, the oh. otter malt. Okay, so, so it's target hung. locally grown target and Celia hops. So it could be hay on Y, or it could be Hereford on Y. Yeah. So either Hereford or I'm going to guess. Anyway, it's quite nice. Yeah, it's, I would say yeah, it's, it's not as strong. It's, it's a session real ale rather a than, than an India pale ale. Hereford. Hereford. Okay, Hereford. good. All right. Well, cheers, everyone. Cheers. We're in Where are Gloucestershire. We, We're in your neck of the woods. This is uh, this is a local from when I was a teenager. Is it? Out in the sticks. So you used to live in the countryside. So you would come here and um, when you were in younger years and drink? Well, no, more like my um, my mother would come here. Oh, okay. And I'd be sort of dragged along, given a pack of scampi fries and told <laughs> to stay out of trouble. Oh, I do like, a, do like a pack of scampi fries. That's probably a very UK reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for the benefit of our, of our international listeners, scampi fries are very intensely flavoured, mm. savoury snacks. I bought you some recently, didn't I? Yes. 
They were posh scampi fries. They were posh scampi fries. But they're very smelly, very fishy, but very nice. Yeah. Um, classic but pub snack. smell on your fingers for Ooh, yeah. weeks after. Wouldn't get it off. No. Wouldn't get it off. No. But yeah, this, um, it's called the house in the tree. And what's the um, the history behind that name? Well, I don't really know because it's it's a ground level. <laughs> but um, we're not in a tree house. It is a it's a classic English country pub with the the, the, the ceiling beams. Uh, yeah. and um, sort of horse brass memorabilia on the walls yeah. yeah framed pictures of just old stuff really yeah and old. it's for even the menu so we're having some food but um, even the menu is kind of old school yeah comfort English country com- comfort food isn't it yeah pies my sister used to work here chips did she she used to be a barmaid and she used to be the cook here yeah. chef cook something like that yeah there you go. So that was, I heard sort of on, on Twitter recently. What's the difference between a chef and a cook? Is it a joke? No. Oh. You'd expect it to be. I want it to be a, a joke. chef, I think, is chief in French. Right. Apparently. So it means you're in charge, whereas a cook is just serving. Them. Hmm. Yeah, whenever I've seen those, whenever I've seen sort of kitchens on programmes on TV, it doesn't really scream agile to me. Because you have very, very set jobs, don't you? Very set roles. It's not yeah. very, you're not very T-shaped in there. Yeah. And it's very much barking orders. Mm. Uh, there's not really a lot of collaboration, but I see. Yeah. I had something, this goes back a long time, but I almost thought about blogging at some point. About, you remember Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares? Yeah, well, I never watched it because I don't like the blog, Basically, but... Gordon Ramsay goes in and shouts at people and tells them how bad their restaurant is. Yeah. And then transforms them overnight into an amazing success. Just and because I, he shouts at well, I think it's obviously it's that transparency of someone um, going in there and telling you and just saying this is exactly this is what's wrong. To change this, change this, do that, and then, and then obviously they become better. Simplify the menu. Well, it's not a it's not a complex domain, is it? A kitchen. I'm not patronising. But is you. is food a complex domain? Well, I think no. I think there are, there are recipes. There are there are rules, aren't there? You cook things to a certain temperature. X goes with Y. Yeah, there are. There you are can s- innovate, I suppose. Yeah, but. Generally speaking, it's a, it's about efficiency in the kitchen, isn't it? It's about flow. Yes, flow, and certainly uh, getting things out when they're hot. And but what was interesting is a lot of restaurants now are trying to massively simplify their men's menus, aren't they? Just varying on a theme to try and make do less, do it well. Yeah. Do less, do less options, but ramp up the quality of each individual option. So would there be anything that would remotely resemble a scrum master role in a kitchen? I don't know. Interesting. I think. What about the kind of front of house kind of the, the um, maitre d or whatever you call it, the person walking around the restaurant, that kind of role? Yeah, because I, 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 from, from what I would see, they don't really get involved in removing impediments in the kitchen. But no, no. But they might say they might increase the transparency if table four's been waiting so and so for. True. Table five needs clearing. Whatever that might be. Hmm. But it's quite bossy. Yeah. But we remember on a long time ago we had a restaurant manager that came onto a scrum master course. Do you remember this? No. And she at the time she was really worried that she because she had no experience um, that she would she wouldn't be able to adapt to, to that kind of role. But it, as she went through the course, this is a CSM course, Moonsy by Jack. Uh, when we were in Hatfields, this is how long okay. ago it was. But she was really worked, but then it turned out in the course she was really had really strong people skills because mm. she's used to working with people in a fairly intense kind yeah. of um, environment. 
she was really good, she had really good people skills, not in, in terms of bossing people around, but just awareness yeah. of people's stress levels. Okay. So she was really switched, although she didn't have the software background, she had a lot of good personal, interpersonal skills. Okay. So I think there is a, a, a tie over. If you're anywhere in that kind of hospitality industry, you've got to be aware of people, haven't you? Yeah. Have you ever seen Scrum Masters get bossy? I mean, Gordon Ramsay wouldn't make a great Scrum Master, would he? I'm sure we've talked about this before, but um, he might he might get some impediments removed. And I think there's an element there of, of leadership, isn't there? If you wanted to follow Is that someone, leadership? no, it's a different kind of leadership. That's what I'm saying. But if you've got bullying, I class him as a bully. I don't know him well enough, but whenever I've seen him, he comes across as a but bully. If, but but then what generally happens on Ramsay's kitchen right there is you've got the staff yeah. that are afraid of their boss yeah. and, and basically Gordon Ramsay comes in and stands up to their boss okay so he's, he's the, bo- the boss of the bully the bully of the boss right? yes okay and then what tends to happen in these programs is then the kitchen staff you tend, you've got some really good sous chefs and you've got some um, great uh, employees that yeah. are just a pa- uh, petrified of their, their manager okay and they don't say anything yeah and they've got some really good ideas, and they've got some great recipes that they're just not allowed to try. So basically, Gordon Ramsay plays this kind of attack dog okay. on the, not so much on the staff, but on the owner, or the dysfunctional owner. Right. And then that tends to get, you, know, you, you tend to feel sorry for the, the staff, who yeah. then all of a sudden flourish. start to flourish because their boss has been um, put in their place, or, okay. or told to go and just look after the books, get out the kitchen, basically. And let let the staff do their job. So okay. there's an element there of. Oh, well, you're turning me around here. Okay, I'm convincing you. Well, yeah. But I think I do think so. Some teams, and I, it reminds me of my, my Nokia days of standing up to people outside the team or yeah. people who are dysfunctional or creating the wrong impression about what's sustainable. Yeah. Teams will respect you for that. Mm. And he. He has an advantage over your, your typical scrum master in that they've Not asked him to come in yeah. and they know what he's about. But so that, that gives rise to the fact that does, does a scrum master have to be have to know the role, the, the technical elements? He knows what good food is and he's run restaurants before. So Gordon Ramsay knows what's expected of, yep. of anyone in the restaurant business. So would he have that kind of clout if he didn't guess not and his but saying that his personality is very abrasive <laughs> he will call you a bleep, yeah you know, to your face in front of the camera because he believes it all for all for impact yeah but it does it turns people's heads doesn't it and what, you know obviously a lot of it's hammed up for tv and it's very edited very cleverly but there's a, and it's again reminds me of other TVs of shows I've watched, like SAS, um, Who Dares Wins, which yeah. is very much about drill sergeants and kind of um, army officers really telling you to your face what you've done wrong or how bad you are or you've let your teammates down. Yeah. Point at the person in this group who's the weakest, that type of thing. It's, 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 it's much more inflammatory approach, isn't it? Is that Scrum Mastery? Probably not in our sense, but it's very much making things very transparent. Yeah. Opening the wound, isn't it? Mm. I think it's one of those kill or cure type things from a team building perspective. It's, it's a risky approach, but it could lead to really, really strong and, and fast 
team bonding, but it could explode. So it reminds me of um, last week. This is a recent thing. It's slightly off topic, but we'll go with it. So I did a, one of my, my um, improv sessions last week. Yeah. And one of my games, which people can find in my book, uh, is called I Quit Dumbass. Okay. Can I talk about this? Yep. So, <laughs> I've read it. Okay, good. Um, basically, it's a game of play, what, we, what I call playful insults. Mm. And it's one of those games that I ran on Wednesday, and it's a little bit Marmite. Some people think that's amazing. Some people think that's not for me. Yeah. And it's very much around that, playing the, the, the high status versus the low status. Right. So it's, it's designed, the idea is that you insult someone playfully as a way to increase the confidence or the, um, the status of someone who plays, naturally plays very low status. Okay. Basically challenge someone who's high status through, through insulting them playfully. Many, many people just didn't like it. Yeah. It was too abrasive, it was too different, it was too taboo mm. to insult someone because they, took, they were worried that people might take it very personally. Was that a cultural thing? And I think it was, so that's, again, the debrief was really good because it brought out that kind of the differences of maybe a British kind of banter culture versus a more international, um, more polite way of working with people that you don't really know very well. So yeah, I think it was probably a sensitive game to play in such a, I mean, but this having said that, you know, this group's been, it's the same group that's been together for four weeks. Okay. So they did know each other to a degree, only four weeks, um, four 90 minute sessions. But they weren't total strangers. Hmm. But it was a really interesting topic. Some people thought that's a really um, delicate but but incredibly useful subject for teams to talk about. Yeah. And some and some people thought, you know, that's definitely a no go. Hmm. So shouldn't even trade insults, even playfully. That, did you go into that cold, or did you warm them up for no, it? No, it's one of the kind of the last games of the day. Okay. And like I say, that's session four of five. So yeah. So it just struck me as a really interesting way to how people can... Taking offence is very subjective, isn't it? Mm. And what is offensive is, is very subjective. Well, there's, there's, there's a phrase, isn't there? I can't offend you, you can only choose to take offence. And some people choose to take offence a lot more than others. Yeah. But, yeah, so back to that whole Gordon Ramsay thing. And that whole high status scrum master. I don't know this. I can't back it up with statistical evidence, but I imagine. I what kind of evidence? <laughs> statistical. That's the one. Yep. Um, I, I I imagine some teams would need that that level of. No, you're wrong. Have you ever played that role? Well, yeah, Nokia. Like I said, I had to. I didn't play it to the team, mm. but I played it outside the team. By standing yeah. up for people, by saying, no, this is wrong. This is fundamentally against my principles. I don't think I've ever played that role. Haven't you? I don't think so. What high status scrum master? I don't think I've played the... The bully? Yeah. I don't know. You must have. But you do it in a very different way. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really got that animated. That's nothing nothing in your Scrum Master history really tested your your values, your personal values, yeah. to a point where this is not this is wrong or we shouldn't do this. Yeah, but I, um, but I, I, I don't know. Have you seen me do that? Not from memory. I, I mean, can't think of an instance. There are things that I think. Do you know what? That's that's really not good. But I and I played it back. 
but not in a not in a Gordon Ramsay way. You know, not in an SAS way. No. Just in a this. I don't like that. But and I don't think that's going to really help you in the long run. Is there another way of dealing with that, or? If that's the way it's going to go, then I think you're going to have to go that way without me, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've made a stand that way, but not maybe. Maybe it's something I should. Maybe it's something I should do. No, necessarily. But I, think I have done it outside of the work environment. Go on, Sports-wise, teams. What when you were part of the team or you yeah. were coaching the team? Yeah, a member of the team. I think that's a little bit more expected. But people in that environment have sort of stepped into that environment knowing that that's it is a, a yeah a competitive environment yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's um, and it tends to be much short lived so so like when I played rugby you know that yeah tempers are going to get raised yeah and, but then you know in eighty minutes we'll be in the bar drinking afterwards yeah but I think obviously with a team you're you're, you're potentially dealing with something that's months or weeks months years worth of investment with their time and mm. their energy so even more reason to cut to the chase I don't know I, I kind of let emotions... or play the long game yeah yeah it's true and, and again I think this is very much a personality thing as to what type of scrum master you want to be or or you think works in your environment but when I when I moved from from BT to Nokia, I was the scrum master that one, wanted to go in. I was I had a level of a false level of security on, on changing things up, probably more than I I actually had. What do you mean? Well, we talked about this before. This this idea of going in with with new ideas to change because I've got a fresh perspective yeah. and I feel that little bit more indestructible. Okay, yeah, yeah. You got you got a yeah, sense of period of goodwill. Yes. And using um, that goodwill to test boundaries. Yeah. And I don't think I actually rationally thought about it. I just went in much more gung-ho than I probably would have done if I'd have been there two, three years. Yeah. So I think that is... Um, I, I definitely had that, that air of um, confidence when I went into a new role as a new Scrum Master that perhaps I wouldn't have done before. Hmm. Because is there anything you regret doing as a scrum master? Anything I regret doing as a scrum master. So there's an example of something. The immediate regret I did. This is a BT thing. And I think you were away at the time. You weren't involved. Standard theme. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff was absent. Um, but it was a potential issue with fast NSO. It was probably my worst scrum project of all time. But I am... Um, we might have discussed it before on this one, but I basically didn't tow the beat. I told the customer that we couldn't do something. Okay. Based on being transparent... Was it a change? Was it a new requirement? I think it, it was either a, a ch- yeah a release or a, a date. It was something that, they, that BT Retail needed by a certain period of time. And I my response was we don't think we can get that done or the the data is telling us that that's not going to be achievable trying to be honest I suppose right and the immediate response was oh my god and when I came back into work the next morning I I remember not the next morning maybe over the week after the weekend there was a message on my um, old BT phone remember the the red light red light was on yeah 
So you generally knew, because you didn't get many messages. No. Over the weekend, you wouldn't have got messages. And I didn't have my, my phone forwarded because I was a good, I was a good, um, I kept my weekends to myself. So I got back in on the Monday morning and red light was on. Red light for danger, Jeff. Yeah. And uh, let's call him Mike. Yeah. Because that was his name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Mike was, left me a message and his, his words were, uh, hi Paul, it's Mike. Um, can you give me a call back? I think you know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> And that was it, and it was like, oh god. So then that that fear that, that he was the product owner. He was. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, he was basically saying, Scrum Masters come back and said, what I want to do is. He was playing high status there, wasn't he? He was, yeah. So um, and then, but the anxiety over me. So uh, your question was, did I regret anything? At the time, I did. At the time, I thought, oh my god, I, I've been bad. I'm a bad employee, and it was just because I was honest. I, I felt like I was being punished because yeah. I was being honest. So my immediate reaction was, I'll, I'll take it back. We can do it. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I yeah. felt like I've done something wrong. I've, I haven't towed the line. I should have just pandered to the customer. Yep. I felt like I'd done the wrong thing. Yeah. And I felt weak. And I, you know, I felt um, like I'd let people down. But I'd, all I've done is let the product tone down, really. But it all just all blew up around me. So, what was the original question? Did I regret it? Do you regret it? it? Yeah. At the time, yes. Uh, looking back now, I'm glad I did. And it was kind of something that shaped me, I suppose, as, as a scrum master. But it was really scary at the time. It's, it's scary saying no. Yeah. Scary saying we don't think because well, everyone expects you to say yes. Mm. That's an issue. I had um, probably one of my biggest, most shared and uh, commented on posts. Yeah, was around saying no. Yes, I know. I know. Yeah, and um, I didn't really boil it down to this, but since that, and I've had a couple of conversations with people about it. It was more about, uh, it's not about saying no, it's more about saying yes if. Yeah. So not yes and, but yes if. So yes, I can do that if. If you could take this other thing off my plate. If you could give me more time. If you could but do that this. that is giving a false sense of hope, isn't it? In, no, no, but if it's, if it's a yes, if you can get this other person to drop their request. Yes, it's, a, it's more constructed than a no. Yeah. You know, you're, you're still giving people options. Now, the chances are they say, well, that's not possible, but that's your option. I can't do that. But, okay, I'll play devil's advocate. Okay, go on So let's go back to Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, yeah. Plate of food on the, on the counter. Yeah. And it's cold. Yeah. You can't say, yes, that can go out if you put it in the microwave. No. Sometimes you've got to say no. Sure, sure, sure. But in your situation where the customer wanted something that you yeah. didn't think was possible, that was in the future. Yeah. So the the, yeah, the, the answer could be yes if we have an extra team. Yeah, yes yeah. if you're going to willing you're willing to pay overtime. Yes yeah. if we can drop these three things from this sprint. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a no. There's they can do something with that. Yeah. And I think that from a from a scrum master perspective, then then that person has to say no. I can't do that. Yeah, I can't yeah, meet those. Yeah. I'm not saying no. You're saying no. I'm thinking back, I'm trying to remember how it all transpired, and I probably did something like email him. Emailing is not a great way to say no, or not, it's not a great way to say we don't think we can do this. And I was probably afraid of the confrontation, the kickback that would, that would occur, and I tried to do it. And other things that I've done, this is another regret, being honest there. In, uh, in Nokia, this is a few years later, 
and I was tra- I was looking at the burn down of our scrum team's progress two weeks previous, and it was quite depressing. So like basically things are flatlining or okay. things are just very stale or nothing's being done. Monitoring we're monitoring points being delivered and there was nothing being delivered. My, I emailed the team. Bad decision. So yeah, sent this email and um, the reaction was, oh, Paul's upset. Yeah. So it kind of hit home, but I wished I wished I'd done it in person. I wished I'd fronted up. It was more of a. It was taken as more of a passive aggressive yeah. thing rather than a direct yeah. thing. Yeah. And there's just a couple of comments that came back a bit later on. Yeah, I suppose that's that. The the passive aggressive was probably my my go to stance when I was less confident. I regret that now. I just didn't have the confidence to be direct. I over overinflated the potential consequences of it. I think. Yeah. Um, and downplayed the respect that it gives. Yeah. Yeah. Not in a Gordon Ramsay way, just in a upfront human to human way. Yeah. Yeah, my, this came up last week as well when we were talking about status in my improv course. I think I have, I certainly, I can't say it's for anyone else, but I have a default preference of low status. I tend to tackle situations from a low status point. Hmm. So the email, again, I regret, I probably should have taken more of a, high, a higher status response to that. Not over back, no, not like yeah, Gordon Ramsay about it, but. How do I tell what, <clears throat> am I high status or low status? How do I tell? I think it's just how you naturally react to certain situations. So how would I go about analysing? Because I don't know. Me, I don't know whether I'm high um, Well, the thing Keith Johnson used to say to me, and I don't think this is a good measure, but he used to say, um, when you're walking down the street and you cross someone at the, on the pavement, do you tend to step into the road or do you tend to hug the wall? Oh, um, I would step into the road. Okay, so that... I'm not saying that categorically is, but Keith Johnson you said that was a good measure of whether you prefer low status or high And what status. would that say? That would say low status. Okay. Whereas hugging the wall would be high? Yeah. Send, yeah, put the other person in danger rather than yeah. take control yourself. What about not moving at all? That would probably be high status. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of, it's, you know, human biology kind of, we tend to oppose, so when, when someone plays low status, the natural human response is for someone then to take the opposing view okay. rather than match it tends to be to, to oppose oh. so when you when you play Gordon Ramsay yeah. typically you get inferior kind of cowering response high status make yourself big people tend to to, to climb up Whereas I imagine though if, if, if somebody tried to play Gordon Ramsay with Gordon Ramsay yeah that's where you get um, conflict yeah a conflict occurs where status is being challenged. But in nature, uh-huh. if you're running through the, um, walking through a forest and you're confronted by a, a seven foot high brown bear, yeah. you're probably going to take low status and run for your life. But that's not a good idea. Eh? It's not a good idea. No. Unless you're with somebody who runs slower, than, runs slower than you. Than you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in nature, you know, as um, evolution has told us, generally when we're confronted with high status, um, it's fight or flight, isn't it? Mm. Freeze. That kind of response. Yeah. But I, I do tend to, and when we're doing um, these little status games that I play on the improv course, you put people in a situation like butcher shop, and you've got nothing else to go on. Okay. Actors will generally take one of either to make things happen. Yeah. Actors are told to try and divide the status. So without knowing that a script, one of us. 
we kind of implicitly know one of us is going to take high, one of us is going to take low status. It gives you something to go for. Is the customer high or low? Well, you can play a low, you can play a high status customer. Where's my meat? Yeah. Um, or you can play a low status customer. Any chance you've got anything left? It's very, very different approaches. Okay. So, but the, the difference in status that you have on stage allows more natural collaboration to occur. If you both go in with the same status, it's harder to define a relationship. So should a scrum master, should there be a 50-50 balance or a scrum master, should they be more low than high? I think in terms of, so again, but just my opinion, but when you're talking about servant leadership, yeah. when you're talking about a coaching response, generally, I'd like, to, I'd like to espouse the fact that scrum masters should look to low rather than looking to high yeah. on a general uh, way of working. But I think there is definitely times from my experience when I had to and I should have taken a higher status response so are there any tips that you can give to people who default towards low status but need to go high yeah and default towards high status but need to go to low what, what's, what's, what are good tips so from an improv point of view um, practicing I mean, if you feel very uncomfortable with one or the other you can practice it in the comfort of your own home away from prying eyes yeah. you can play it's a bit daft but you can play status with the furniture okay so practicing and this is comes back to Amy Cuddy's work around power posing right. so trying to inflate your status increase the level of testosterone in your brain by adjusting your posture okay uh, the Wonder Woman pose which Amy Cuddy talks about hands on hips just doing that will naturally increase the levels of your, of your testosterone and reduce cortisol, reduce stress. So you can practice that. And what Amy Cuddy suggested, if you find yourself in a stressful situation, is to just hold that pose for a few seconds before you speak okay. or before you... She, the, the example she uses is a job interview, where if you think about it, in a job interview, just before you go into the room, yeah. you tend to adopt a low status small compact approach she suggests suggests you just before you walk in you take a few moments to increase your physical size expand your chest um, and you'll feel more confident but it's amazing I think again this is a lot of my opinion and conjecture here but when you're dealing with leadership in in IT organisations when a lot of senior leaders have risen through the ranks Mm -hmm. from very technical Mm -hmm. backgrounds of being developers or being team members you're thrusting people who perhaps have a bias like me to low status positions into a high status role Mm -hmm. and if you're expected to people looking to you to take a high status stance on issues direction transformation product uh, development but you're naturally uncomfortable with it it can be a stretch it can be stressful is it is it easier to go from low to high or to go from high to low? Again, personally speaking, it's quite it's quite fun for me to play that. Again, the emphasis on the word play, you do feel like you're playing with that role. So, me as a low status person, when I'm training, people are expecting me to be high status. Yeah. I'm leading a training class, I'm teaching. But it's no surprise, and we've talked about this before, at that end, that day ends, I've got to go and sit in a dark room and just kind of get back to my natural habit. Need to recharge. Yeah. So someone who, de- not you then, so someone who defaults to high status, mm. but then needs to find themselves playing low status, is yeah. that equally draining? I, I think so, yeah. So I can 
talk about my wife, who is <laughs> naturally a high status person, and she um, she thrives with energy off other people. So is that high status or high maintenance? Did you say? No, Sorry, it's definitely status. status okay. For the take, it's definitely status. Um, which doesn't sound even that good anyway. Saying your wife is high status, but no, she she um, she finds it harder to to adjust it to, to down to lower status. So. What are the impacts of you? It's a draining of energy, which yeah. is classic introvert playing yeah. an extrovert. Yeah. What, what's the impact on the high status who has to... Is it energy or is it other kind of emotions? I or? think it's certainly um, perhaps motivation, energy, morale. Okay. Maybe, you know, you, you need... Um, you get your energy from that kind of dominance and that control. And maybe for a lot of people, you get um, fulfillment and, and enjoyment out of your role from taking control of situations. So it's harder if you're not getting that, if you're not, not being allowed to take that control, while it feels like you're losing power, literally losing power as a high status individual, by handing over to um, decision making, handing over um, creative tasks to people who are lower status. And less effective. Who's less effective? So, from a, for me, a high-status person has a level of either expertise or self-belief. And so, if they're handing over to somebody who has a lower status, do they have confidence in that person's ability to deliver? Or is it a case of, Arguably, I could do this no. better than you? No, it's not necessarily. <laughs> I think it's a lot of it is about control. So, on, st- on stage, it's about actors high status generally want to have control of the, of the situation of the scene of, okay. the, of the direction of the, of the story and in terms of offers except isn't that just a, a doubt in the capability of the other actors to direct it properly not necessarily I will stay in control so that I know the result is what I want yeah possibly I'm, I'm, I'm asking this because I'm, I'm trying to answer my own question in a way. In that yeah. I can see stepping into an uncomfortable position outside of my comfort zone to be draining energy-wise yeah. from an introvert perspective or, or a low-status person, but from a high-status person or an extrovert, letting go of control, yeah. I, I imagine it's a sense of frustration. Mm. Of, <clears throat> I, could, I, I could do this. I, you know I, I could do, do this now yeah. and I could get it done. And I could do it better, but I've got to hold back. Which, for some people, entering the, the realm of servant leadership, who are used to control, who are used to being in charge, who are used to saying things and telling and the expertise, is, is a challenge, right? And scrum masters who are trying to take on even the servant leadership role or even um, organisational leaders who are trying to adopt a more enabling, engaging stance. Well, I think, I think there is a, there's a place for that. And so I can think of... It's, it's not staying away from my wife now, but I, I can think of a high-status individual in a company that's taken on Agile and Scrum that's had to, that has now, just by the nature of the transformation, has less, um, I'm going to say control again, but less involvement day-to-day, in day-to-day tasks. Less coordination, less control about what the teams are doing. But they still intrinsically have a, a joy from being part, being that, being in, involved. Mm-hmm. And I think there's still a place, and I think, I think of the situations I've, I've suggested that that invite that person to planning sessions, yeah. invite that person to workshops, problem-solving workshops, um, 
new new product generation or a new idea generation, keep you don't have to completely um, absolve them of all that responsibility and that and that um, that, uh, that level of enjoyment they get out of it. But it's just being able to flex it, being being aware enough, self aware that there's times when I might have to tone it down as opposed to turn it up. Because of the impact it has on other people, yeah. you're taking up more of the metaphorical space. Or... Where there's a status divide, generally less collaboration. Okay. So when you get power, extremes of power yep. and status, you generally get very low extreme status responses. I'll, I'll do anything you say. Because there's less vulnerability. Yeah. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Yep. Just tell me what to do. I've got my ideas are worthless here. You, what, what should we do, Jeff? What yeah. should we do? That's that. What you want is that. Which our this. listeners can't <laughs> understand That's what you're terrible, doing. That's a terrible radio reference. Yeah. But I'm, I'm moving my hands um, close to each other, up and down, like like levels of an amplifier, bouncing around. So you, you want a closer You want a close uh, match. A close status and state, small, subtle status switches is yeah. what you want, Jeff. Okay. From an improv point of view. Hmm. Fascinating. I, could, so I said this on my session last week. I wish I'd done human psychology as a, as a degree, as a master's, mm. um, because I find it fascinating. Yeah. Human, human. It's not too late, mate. No, too, I you're know. Still young. Yeah. You're still young. I know. I know. Not as young as me, but you're still young. No. And there's an element of me that thinks, if I'm interested enough in it, I should pursue it. Yeah. Because it is oh. fascinating. Watch this space, yeah. listeners. Maybe. Dr. Paul Goddard. That has a nice ring to it. Dr. Goddard. That's a high status name, isn't it? Yeah, doctor. Yeah. White coat syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. People might buy your book. <laughs> Harsh. Harsh. <But> fair. <laughs> All right, mate. We're done, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. I think we've, that was a good one. Uh, we've kept people long that enough. That was a true, in the spirit of it, one, a one-point meandering podcast. Well, for you, as my second, but there we go. We, st- we started on food. Yeah. And it went to status. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, cheers, mate. Cheers, pal. See you soon. Cheers, everybody.